0: This is the Poison Terminator podcast. My name is Carlo Diolim. A recent report released by the CDC casts doubt on the fact that a parasitic disease known as rat lung worm disease is uncommon in North America. According to this report, 12 cases between 2011 and 2017 were detected in the U.S., My guest, Kathleen Howe, has observed up close several cases of this disease in Hawaii, and one of these cases is her son who survived this disease. She will describe to us how this disease induces its effects, and she will tell us what steps we can take to reduce the occurrence of rat lungworm disease. Kathleen is a curriculum development specialist at the Research Corporation of the University of Hawaii. She has worked as a researcher and education outreach coordinator on rat lungworm disease in Hawaii. Kathleen has a master's degree in tropical conservation biology and environmental science. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. So, uh, Kathleen, what is a rat lungworm disease? Uh,
1: it's a disease caused by a... Uh, uh parasitic nematode, a roundworm, called angiostrongylus cantonensis, and the common name is the rat lungworm. Um, It's a parasite that requires two um, entirely different hosts to complete its life cycle. Uh, The life cycle begins in the lungs of rats, which is why it's called rat lungworm, Um, and it is transferred um, from rats Two slugs and snails, um, and some other creatures that are called perigenic hosts, be um, a rat feces. So basically, the life cycle starts in the lungs of the rat, the eggs that are laid there by adults hatch, the first stage larvae migrates up the um, bronchial tree of the rat, is swallowed, and exits in feces. And then the next host, um, the uh, intermediate host, picks that first stage larvae up and harbors it through two other larval stages, the second and a third larval stage. And it's the third larval stage that's infected back to rats or to accidental hosts, such as humans, dogs, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the third stage larvae is capable of surviving the gut acid. Um, and once it is ingested either by the definitive host, the rat or an accidental host, it will burrow through the intestinal wall enter the bloodstream, migrate through different organs, and then that its target is the brain and central nervous system. And when it arrives in that location, the um, larvae go through two more larval stages. They go through a fourth stage and then a fifth stage larvae or a young adult. And at that point in time, the young adults will migrate out of the brain of the rat or in some cases even in an accidental host. Um, they migrate out of the brain, go through the heart into the pulmonary artery and um, you know the blood vessels of the lungs. And there the adult rat lungworms reproduce and lay eggs and, and the cycle begins again. So it goes from a microscopic larvae at the first through the third stage larvae. It is microscopic. But once it enters the definitive or accidental host, it begins to grow and the, uh, 4th and 5th stage larvae in the brain of um, a rat or a human uh, becomes macroscopic and it's because of this um, propensity to go to the brain and central nervous system that it causes such a severe disease because you then have a fairly large parasite in your brain.
0: Are there other ways uh, except uh, ingesting um, the, the larvae that uh, we can get uh, the disease? Um,
1: it, Generally, it's assumed that the disease is contracted by accidental or, in some cases, intentional. In other cultures, slugs and uh, snails in particular are eaten as a food source. Um, it's generally assumed that it's either accidental or intentional injection of a slug or snail or a piece of a slug or snail. Um, we have slugs in Hawaii that are so infected that a very, very small piece of tissue could make you very, very sick. So it could be um, a, a slug or a snail or even a puritanic host, such as a flatworm, which dies or decomposes or is chopped up or somehow manages to contaminate food. And then uh, my research also showed that a slug, infected slug or snail or potential flatworm um, that climbs into water somehow or a beverage or whatever. Um, will shed parasites. In particular, when they're drowned, they will shed hundreds of parasites. So we do know that people have been infected through consumption of infected water or an infected beverage.
0: But can it get uh, through the skin, uh, the, the larva?
1: It could. There's a good mouse study. There's been no shown case, although we did have a case in Hawaii where a man handled slugs and snails, and whether they went through... He'd been working in the yard. it was hot, he was sweating, you know, his hands were roughed up from field work, um, he was sweating and and um you know, he may have wiped his eyes. There's a very good mouse study that shows that um they were able to infect mice through both abraded and unabraded skin, through lacerations, um subcutaneously, and then also through um conjunctive and mucosal tissues. So it is possible that that could be a route of, of infection. Um, it simply hasn't really been shown yet to be one, but there's all the evidence that it could be.
0: What are the initial signs and symptoms of uh, rat lungworm disease?
1: They're flu, like, to begin with. Um, generally, people just start to feel um, achy. Um, they might have stomach pain, diarrhea or nausea, Um, often we've had people describe a feeling of pins and needles or something crawling under the skin, Um, a lot of joint pain, and then it starts to become headaches um, as the parasite migrates up into the brain and central nervous system. So headaches, um, as it becomes meningitis, a stiff neck. Uh, people have developed vision problems, hearing problems, um, bladder dysfunction is very common in a serious case. Um, and then as the disease progresses, this um, confusion, inability to, um, speak or, um, speak clearly, um, paralysis, um, facial paralysis, lower limb paralysis. Um, And then it can, as in my son's case, it went from uh, what's called eosinophilic meningitis to encephalitis. He had hydrocephalus, he was in a coma, um, and we have had people die of this.
0: How long does it take for uh, symptoms to appear?
1: Um, CDC says it can take anywhere from a few days to several months. And again, this is something that we don't know why this happens. Um, some of our studies, we do feel that possibly larvae could get lost in a large host, such as the human, where they may be stuck in organs in places and then possibly eventually make it to the central nervous system. Again, we don't truly know. Um, if, uh, if it were possible to be infected through skin, it may take longer for the larvae to arrive at the central nervous system. Um, so we truly don't know what causes the, the, um, duration of time for symptoms to appear, but, um, the literature says it can be, um, from a few days to a few months.
0: How long does uh, this uh, disease last?
1: A lot of the cases that I have seen, there has not been total recovery from. Um, the very serious symptoms can range from a few months to multiple years. Um, again, the, liter- the CDC and a lot of the literature says recovery takes two to eight weeks, and we do not see that. The cases that are being caught in Hawaii, are the cases that go to the hospital or go to the emergency room and are diagnosed the cases that are never diagnosed. And there's probably many, many of those, um, we truly just don't know what the outcome has been, but the serious cases that have gone to the hospital, uh, in Hawaii, we are not seeing a recovery to the eight weeks. We're seeing people, um, having to deal with, um, some pretty serious disability for long some years afterwards.
0: Is uh, this disease uh, underreported?
1: It is underreported. It's very, there's no good diagnostic tool. There's no easy diagnostic tool for it at this point in time. Diagnosis requires a spinal tap, and then looking at the um, looking for the DNA of the parasite. Um, using molecular analysis. Um, Sometimes they'll look for the parasite itself, but because the symptoms are so flu-like doctors tend to just say you have the flu. Uh, And then it's also not been made known very well. It's been considered a tropical disease. So Many, many of our mainland doctors are completely unaware of this. Even in Hawaii, where it's quite prevalent, it's taken a long time for doctors to start to consider that this could be what the patient is, you know, what the problem is. And even then, a lot of doctors are saying, no, that's not it. Um, So, yes, it's greatly underreported. We figure that they're probably only catching, I don't know, maybe even 10% of the cases in Hawaii. It's, It's... probably much more common in Hawaii. A mild case may simply be flu-like and go away in a couple of months or a few weeks. Um, uh, Some of our um, uh, studies have shown that, that there's a much higher rate. Um, We've been working with Thailand. Thailand has developed a blood test for this, um, but it's really um, quite specific um, and quite sensitive. And so our lab, um, the Javi lab at the University of Hawaii at Hilo, um, has been working with Thailand to try to develop a blood test for Hawaii. And we feel that that will, um, you know, greatly increase uh, the number of cases that are, that are actual actually
0: rare. So uh, the diagnosis is only made uh, based on the symptoms? Yeah,
1: a lot of times the symptoms, um, when a patient appears with a really, really bad headache, which this, you know, meningitis causes very severe headaches. Um, at that point, then, you know, doctors that are kind of in the know of what to do will do a spinal tap, um, and then they'll send the CSF fluid um, to a state laboratory or CDC for analysis, um, again, using um, PCR, and that type of thing to look for the DNA of the parasite. They'll look for micro. You know, do uh, by microscopy, look for the parasite, but rarely it's not very competent. You see the larvae in the CSF fluid. Um, so the lumbar puncture serves two purposes. One, for diagnosis, and two, to relieve pressure in the brain. And so oftentimes in treatment for this disease, there will be multiple lumbar punctures to relieve the pressure in the brain.
0: What's a CSF... Um, they,
1: the central um, this is the uh, um, central nervous system fluid that's in the brain um, and that's what they're pulling out using a lumbar puncture um, to look at you know to uh, analyze in addition looking for DNA of the parasite they'll look for other indicators um, you know elevated protein lowered glucose in the in the CSF they're also looking for at the eosinophils the eosinophil count, which is a white blood cell. Um, this being a fairly large parasite will trigger the production of eosinophils. Um, and the eosinophils actually are part of what is causing the inflammation in the brain and some of the brain damage as well. So in addition to the um, insult caused by the parasite, the migration of the parasite, and feeding and defecating of the parasite, um, an additional problem that occurs is um, from the eosinophils going after this parasite and they produce a toxin which is toxic to the parasite and will kill it but it will also kill surrounding um, brain or nerve tissue um, and it causes inflammation. So this is one of the reasons that in treatment for this disease doctors will administer steroids and that is usually prednisone and that is to dampen the immune system response um, and reduce the inflammation caused by the eosinophil.
0: can uh, people uh, recover from this uh, disease
1: some people have recovered Um, i have met people who have recovered well from it early treatment really is very helpful in early recovery Um, But I also know a great number of people who have not recovered from it, um, who have had this for one to five to ten or more years and have never recovered from it. I know people who have gotten this disease and have never been able to work again, who are permanently disabled from it. And and this has been more common in Hawaii than not.
0: How is uh, rat lung worm disease uh, treated?
1: Um, generally, the treatment, um, there's some controversy on it. In other countries um, and in Hawaii, the doctor that has treated the most cases of this will generally start the patient on a regimen of steroids, followed several days later by antiparasitic parasitic medicine. Um, it, in addition to the antiparasitic medicine, they keep the per- patient on the steroids and usually give about a two-week supply of mebendazole, um, um, albendazole, or ivermectin. I believe it's mebendazole that's kind of the favored um, drug, and then keep the patient on steroids, and then following the treatment with the antiparasitic, they taper the steroids and. The doctor treating the most cases in Hawaii has found that to be a very effective treatment. The outcome is better for that treatment. Um, There's many cases from other countries where they have incorporated the use of antiparasitic drugs with treatment with very successful outcomes. However, in the United States, the Center for Disease Control and the Hawaii Department of Health is still hedging on the use of the antiparasitic drug, saying it could make it worse. Um, we, we have not really seen that, um, and the doctor treating in most cases is advocating for the use of it. Um, it's better to administer those drugs early on. They're more effective on larvae. Um, it's better to kill the larvae when they're very small than when they're big. Um, an adult rat lungworm that um, we've taken out of the heart and lungs of rats, have measured um, anywhere up to three centimeters. It wouldn't be that big in the brain, but they would still be over one centimeter in um, length. And so to have, you know, the die off of a large number of larger parasites is going to be more difficult for your body to recover from than if they were caught early on when they're smaller um so this kind of goes to then some cases that we've had where there's been known exposure to a or a snail um, in particular in hawaii we've had people who have found slugger snails in salads that they bought at commercial um outlets um we had a woman who bought a spring roll at one of the farmers markets and ate half of a semi-slug, which is a very, very effective carrier. And in those cases, the use, the prophylactic use of antiparasitic medicine, we feel is is, is a very good idea. Um, whether the slug is infected or not, antiparasitic medicines are generally not harmful, And this would be good preventative treatment. Um, Again, we've had difficulty in Hawaii where people have had known exposure, have gone to the doctor, and the doctor has told them to wait for symptoms to develop. And that's really counterintuitive because by the time symptoms develop, they're in your brain. And that's not the best place to go after them. So. We very much advocate for the use of um, prophylactic use of, of antiparasitic medicines in known exposures um, to possibly infected slugs or snails.
0: Why do people with this disease commit suicide?
1: This disease is incredibly painful. It causes many, many people have paresthesia from this, which is an you know, extreme sensitivity of the skin to the point where they have to um, only wear shirt pants if it's in the lower extremities cut sleeves off of shirts if it's in the arms Whatever it feels like a very, very, very bad sunburn that never goes away also exhaustion um, pe- people have a very hard time recovering um, the energy that they had prior to it um, they, there may be difficulties with vision, in my son's case his vision is impaired um, the quality of life simply does not come back easily or quickly from this disease. And people simply give up hope. And we have had people commit suicide from this. This disease is also financially devastating, not just to the patient, but somebody who has a severe case of this really needs somebody to help them recover. It is very, very difficult to recover this from this if you, don't have a supporter, Um, people who have just come out of the hospital for this don't have any energy, they usually cannot drive, they're easily confused and disoriented, and so you have to have somebody help. In my son's case, which was a very, very serious case, I had to leave my work, I had to devote my time solely to him. To help him recover, we've used many alternative treatments because generally what the hospital or the doctors will give you is some kind of pain medication, and that's it. Um, So it's financially devastating. Um, People who have had good lives and have been able to work and be a supportive member of their family cannot anymore. um, They've given up hope.
0: Is the control of uh, rats, slugs, snails a good way to reduce the occurrence of rat lungworm disease cases?
1: It's, it's, it's essential. It really is essential. What happened in Hawaii was uh, we had an uh, uh, invasive slug that's an extremely effective host arrive. Um, early studies were done by CDC and Department of Health in the area where we started having, having cluster case outbreaks. They looked at this particular slug, which is called the semi-slug, Pomeranum martensi, and it was running at about 78% infection. They they caught somewhere around 37 rats in the area, and 100% of the rats showed either current or previous infection using both visual microscopy and PCR. Um, It showed that there was exposure to very... Um, infected organisms, and no measures were taken by the state of Hawaii to control or eradicate in that area. And so infection has spread, especially on Hawaii Island, and and it kind of relates to the spread of this particular slug. As the slug moves, infection rates go up. Um, And so um, one of our most recent studies was we worked with USDA APHIS, they trapped the Hawaii um, Department of Health Vector Control, they trapped 545 rats in the Hilo area, wild rats. And um, again, using PCR and my microscopy, we looked at a 94% infection rate in rats in the Hilo area. Uh, some of the highest infected rates were in the areas of the port of Hilo, the airport, and the military base. So because right now Hawaii does not have an effective vector control program going on, they simply tell residents, control hosts, but there's really no developed um, campaign for this. Uh, The infection rates are spreading. One of the things that we have... Thought and we've talked to other researchers and they've said this is actually a good idea would be to develop a warmer for rats and try that. Um, especially you could use that as a perimeter um, treatment. You could use it at places like ports. Farmers could use it around their farms. And we feel that it is a tool that should be um, explored. Uh, we have probably the highest infection rates in rats and slugs and snails globally in Hawaii, particularly on Hawaii Island. And there is no well-organized campaign to do anything about it at this point in time. So in reality, we are putting other places at risks at risk, um, because of its high infection rate at the port and places of transportation, we are probably undoubtedly shipping that long run to other areas.
0: Are there uh, any factors that contribute to the presence of uh, carrier animals close to homes?
1: Um. Yeah, uh, you know, Hawaii has all of the perfect, they have the perfect environment, you know, rats in particular, tree rats, the black rat, which is a good carrier, Um, You know, they're in the trees, they're in the forest. is really tropical. There's a lot of growth, and so you're going to have a lot of rats. The same is true of slugs and snails, particularly on the windward, the wet sides of the islands. It just conditions are perfect for these types of organisms to survive and and proliferate. Um, So what people can do is try to control their perimeters of their property. They can trap rats, um, baits. can be harmful to wildlife, so I like to use traps. Um, around my home in Hawaii, we trap rats, and we also trap slugs and snails. So one of the strategies that we're using is working with, I work with school garden projects to um, educate teachers and students in how to control, um, in particular, the intermediate host slugs and snails. Um, and how to teach their families how to control it. And we're using very simple methods, um, using sheltering places where we encourage slugs and snails to go during the day, during the daytime hours to hide out of the sun and the heat. Um, And then we regularly check under those shelters, and then we'll um, capture the slugs and snails and dispose of them in a a high saline um, solution. We make what we call a slug jug. And it's simply a seven-to-one ratio, seven parts water to one part salt, which is a very um, concentrated salt solution. And we've been show, able to show in the lab that that will kill the batlone and parasite, and it will also kill the slugs and snails. So we do advocate for control. Um, I we'll be giving workshops on Hawaii Island um, this fall for teachers because we are trying to start a campaign for control, to really encourage the public to control. Um, for instance, Hawaii had a um, dengue outbreak several years ago, and the Department of Health started this bite-the-bite campaign and really encouraging people to control areas where mosquitoes could harbor and breed. Um, and so we're starting uh, basically a, a, a mug-the-thug-and-nail-the-snail campaign and really trying to get statewide island-wide efforts in the community to eradicate because we are not going to drop our infection levels and be able to reduce cases of this disease in Hawaii unless we start to deal with the infected hosts.
0: How can we reduce the presence of uh, rat lung worm in uh, bodies of water?
1: Um, In Hawaii, we had a unique uh, situation. Hawaii Island, we had very large subdivisions developed with no infrastructure for, for water. So Hawaii is one of the few places where the use of rainwater catchment for household use is allowed. There is no agency, no state or federal agency that oversees how you maintain your system. So it's entirely up to the homeowner to maintain a rainwater catchment system. That means maintaining a clean roof, clean gutters, making sure your system um, is covered, that your tank is regularly cleaned, and that you have filters that are adequate to keep organisms out of your household faucets. Um, What we are telling people now is to Take good care of your system. Change your filters regularly. We, even though covering a tank is is a very very good idea, we have seen floods and snails inside of very well covered and maintained tanks. It's, they are getting in, and I have seen that with my own eyes. So, while it's important to try to keep them out of your tanks, it's also very important to make sure that you have filters on your intake um, supply for your house. And so we're trying to get this information out to residents um, in the Pune district where the most cases of rat lungworm have occurred. About 75% of the population relies on rainwater catchment for their household water supply. So th- this is the problem. And again, we have no idea how many cases have been attributed to water from a household water supply or from agricultural water because rainwater catchment is used in agriculture in Hawaii as well. And it is probably even less well-maintained, especially in the use of filters.
0: What can we do to impede the presence of a rat long worm on fruits and vegetables?
1: What we tell people to do is there's a, there's a number of ways to be very safe. Um, anything eaten raw deserves extra attention. So, for instance, salads. Salads are one of the, probably one of the main sources of, of transmission um, via food. Slugs and snails can go deep inside a, slu- a head of lettuce. Baby slugs can be very small. Flatworms, which are predaceous on slugs and snails and are also hosts of the rat lungworm, can get into deeply-headed vegetables, such as lettuces. Um, kale, um, celery, bok choy, those types of things. So any headed vegetable, we tell people, if you wear glasses, put your glasses on, and you have to take those vegetables apart leaf by leaf or stock by stock and look for any evidence and then wash under running potable water. And right at this point in time, that's the best way to try to prevent it on um, fresh uh, fresh raw vegetables. We do tell people, you know, people said, can you get it from slime? Or the, those studies have been very difficult. Yes, they can shed parasites in slime. We don't know how long they can survive in a slime trail, um, but we do advocate for washing um, any of the fruits and vegetables, um, drying them. I, I do know that dry conditions are not good at all for this parasite. Um, dry conditions, parasite di- dies pretty quickly on things that people would be worried about, like, you know, tomatoes or papayas or something like that, just wash and dry. Um, The other thing, too, that people can do is cook their food. Um, In tropical countries, a lot of times people never eat raw food, and so people maybe need to do a cultural shift and look at simply cooking their food. Um, Three to five minutes at uh, sea level. Um, you, know, you know, boiling or blanching, steaming, something like that will kill that rat longworm parasite And freezing will as well. So freezing for 24 hours has been shown by a researcher that this was adequate. Um, a regular freezer um, is recommended by the Department of Health or FDA, I believe, um, to maintain a temperature of zero degrees. And that, at 24 hours, will kill the rat longworm parasite. So, you know we have a lot of people that like a fresh green uh, king smoothie, and so we simply say wash it, you know check check your food, clean it, and then freeze it. So we kind of have these little things you know check clean cook or check clean freeze. Um, so there are a lot of methods you can take. Also another thing people have been we've had cases occur from people drinking out of a garden house um, so now we simply say, um, put a nozzle on your garden hose, or don't drink out your garden hose. If you take a beverage outside, um, cover it.
0: Can you get uh, rat lung worm disease by eating uh, canned snails?
1: No, probably not by eating canned snails. Um, I would think that the conditions in the packing would not be conducive to it. Um, in Asia, people do get them from eating cooked snails. Usually the snails have been undercooked, and that's a problem. Um, so, you know, in, in uh, other countries, that recent, a very recent study just came out and showed that people in China, a couple of people in China, were infected from eating raw centipedes. Um, there's been cases of people getting it from eating frogs, raw frogs, um, or water monitor lizards. Um, we just had a, a researcher do a study in Hawaii, and the kopi frogs are very infected. Um, these are called peritoneic hosts, some of these. So shrimp, prawns, frogs, um, uh, water monitor lizards. These are all what have been called paratenic hosts. They're not normal hosts of the rat lung parasite, um, but they can pick it up. And so centipedes now have just been shown to be potential paratenic hosts. So again, going back to cooking. Cooking, adequate cooking, will kill it.
0: Do you know of uh, anything that people are doing wrong when dealing with uh, rat lungworm disease?
1: I think one thing is people don't take it serious enough. You know, for the longest time, in the Department house, Health and, and CDC were just saying it, flu-like symptoms. Well, people say, well, flu-like symptoms, that's not a big deal. Um, another thing is lack of information, um, lack of information for tourists. We did not want to talk about this disease for a long time. Um, there's actually a published statement saying that it would affect tourism and would affect farmers and you have a better chance of getting hit by car crossing and sleeping and getting rat lung worms so why tell anybody about it? So lack of information is harmful. And also the lack of real research. So when I got into this, there was no research being done in Hawaii at that time. Um, and so people were saying, well, I wash my vegetables with vinegar or I use grapefruit seed extract or I use some product to kill the rat boneworm. Well, no study had been done to show that that was effective. Effective. And so after I you know began working at the Jarvie lab, we started looking at some of these things that people were doing. In thinking they were being safe by doing it. And actually what we were able to show was that these products did not have any effect whatsoever. In the case of vinegar, acid actually activates the larvae. So lack of good research um, has impeded um, the quality of information that has been put out. A fear of affecting tourism has Affected, good information being put out, and, and these are things that um, you know that, that need to change in order to better address this. And also in um, the United States, there needs to be information because tourism in Hawaii is a real thing. <laughs> we know a lot of people, Canada, all over the world, go to Hawaii for vacation. And they may come home and then symptoms may develop and doctors will not have any idea of what this could be. So there needs to be some kind of travel alert for Hawaiian doctors need to be aware that people who travel to Hawaii, um, and come back and have symptoms like this to, to look at the potential for this being that lung wound disease. And that was really the basis of that CDC um, paper that just came out talking about the 12 cases on the mainland. Um, this is also not just in Hawaii. It's in the U S mainland all through the Gulf States from Florida to Texas. It's range is moving north. There was a case on a child in Tennessee, not that long ago. So again, there's really not been adequate, um, Money's placed towards studying this and seeing what is happening, and also toward putting in good diagnostics so that it's easy to diagnose. And because of that, we really are in the dark about how that lungworm is affecting the U.S. mainland, a, and, and also Hawaii. And so, um, this is a this is something that I think the United States needs to take a bit more seriously. <laughs>
0: The last questions I would like to ask you is, uh, what were your reasons for conducting research on, th- on rat worm disease?
1: Um, I had been, uh, have been involved in agriculture a lot of my life. I grew up in farming communities, and I'm very much a proponent of growing food and having a garden and that type of thing. And then I'm also an educator. And I had been teaching in Hawaii, and, um, prior to my son's illness, I was teaching at, um, uh, K-12 schools, um, and, uh, school garden projects are very popular and I think that they're great laboratories for learning. so I do like to include them, um, as a, as a laboratory on campus. And uh, so the schools that I worked at, we did have school gardens that we used for our science and math studies. And I was completely unaware of this disease. There was no information out there about this disease at that time. And um, Any information that there was was that this was flu-like. It was mild and flu-like and you know, could cause serious effects. that was mild and flu-like. Um, when I saw what it did to my son, I was shocked because he was a healthy young man, um, had a job as a construction worker and rock wall builder, liked to surf and skateboard, was 23 years old, turned 24 in the hospital, and he was completely incapacitated by this disease. I had never seen anything do the type of damage that it did of what this disease did. And over the years of meeting more people and helping my son through his recovery, I began to ask the question, where is the research and where is the education on this? And so after several years, after my son um, got out of the hospital from this disease, I was invited to an international conference held in Honolulu on that lung wound disease. And it was at that conference that I met Dr. Susan Jarvie, who went there not as a presenter but as a participant. And she had been working on avian malaria at the University of Hawaii um, at at Hilo. And when she saw how severe this disease was, she um, decided to get involved. And it's because of her involvement that we made such great progress on this disease. So that was really what led me to this. You know, it was a problem. I found my son, the damage that it did, the difficulty, the pain. Of the recovery, I met many other people along the way who either had the disease or had a family member who had the disease. Everyone was searching for knowledge and for help. And I made the decision to go back to school to do the research and education on this disease. Um, I've taken on a huge amount of student debt to do it. um, We've had very little state support through the process. Just now, we're starting to get a little bit of state support It's been a long battle, oftentimes a not very nice um, battle with state agencies whose job it is to protect the health of people, to protect agriculture, and we're trying to make that change. That is why I got involved. I got involved for the sake of the people of Hawaii who this disease was affecting, and the farmers, because I advocate for um, locally grown produce. I know the value of healthy eating. Um, and I don't want to see farmers lose their businesses and you know, retail stores get sued because somebody got sick. So that, that led me to this work.
0: Where can people get more information about the work that you do?
1: Um, Dr. Jarvie has a very good website. Um, if you go to the University of Hawaii at Kilo and go to, um, Dr. Susan Jarvie's staff page, um, there is information on rat lungworm disease there. I've created a curriculum, which is also available on, um, on, on Dr. Jarvie's staff site. Um, the curriculum is available to anybody to download. It's designed for K 12 schools, but it's, it's, it is information that is based on research, because I've been a researcher in the Jarvie Lab since 2011. And so this information is research-based. It's based on uh, work from our international collaborators and from years of researchers who have worked on this disease. So that is a very good place to go for information.
0: Kathleen, we want to thank you for sharing your experience with your son. And we also appreciate the amount of information you gave us on this interesting yet dangerous parasite.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. And I do hope that the information can prevent anybody from getting this disease. So thank you. I really do appreciate this opportunity.
0: Kathleen is a curriculum development specialist at the Research Corporation of the University of Hawaii. She has worked as a researcher and education outreach coordinator on rat lungworm disease in Hawaii. That's all for today. I'm the Poison Terminator. I will be back next week with another episode. Have a great day.